Hello and welcome to the EMG Gold podcast. I'm Mark Koskila and with me today, I'm delighted to say, is Helena Beer, editor of Gold magazine. Helena, how are you? Hi, Mark. I'm really well, thank you. How are you doing? Yes, really good, thank you. It was great to have a break at uh, New Year and Christmas, but now raring to go, particularly after listening to our 2022 Farmer Forecast episode recently. Um, yourself, how, how's the New Year treating you? Well, I've definitely got that feeling of New Year optimism as well, which is great. Um, first week back at work, lots of exciting projects on the go, and I'm really looking forward to sharing them with all our gold listeners and readers in due course. But I guess the first order of the day is a great new episode of the podcast. So who have you been chatting with this week? Yeah, absolutely. So this week I caught up with Margot Warren, who's head of policy at the Access to Medicine Foundation, about her path into advocating for health equality, the importance of global vaccine distribution, improving understanding around public health and so much more. It's a great selection of really interesting and, and quite pertinent topics there. And Margot has some fantastic insights. So we hope you enjoy listening as much as we did. So take it away, Mark and Margot. How are you doing today, Margot? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Great. Well, it's brilliant to have you on. So Margot's worked at the Access to Medicine Foundation for almost four years now, having moved from the role of government engagement and policy manager to the head of policy last year. There, she leads the foundation's policy work on access to medicine and the antimicrobial resistance on a global scale, and develops new research on key global health priorities. She also represents the foundation on advisory committees, as well as the Access to COVID-19 Tools Accelerator Emergency Oxygen Task Force, with a consortium of partners, including the World Health Organization and various other UN agencies. Before joining the Access to Medicine Foundation, she worked in strategic health policy at the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care in Ontario, Canada, where she led the development of new initiatives to improve access to medicine. She was featured on the most recent list of Canadian women in global health, recognising the achievements of established leaders in global health, and holds both a bachelor's and master's degree in international development with a focus on health policy. She recently spoke at the Financial Times Global Pharmaceutical and Biotechnology Conference in a panel on pricing and market access trends, and we're really looking forward to hearing what information she can give us on improving access to medicine for all. So to kick us off, Margot, you've been interested in health policy from earlier on in your career. What encouraged you to focus your professional efforts on improving global access to medicine? Yeah, I've always been interested in health equity, and I fundamentally believe that health is a human right. So as a young student uh, at McGill University in Montreal, I first became interested in global health specifically and knew that it was a field I wanted to one day work in. And during my studies, I spent some time in South Africa where I met a really lovely young baby named Sam, and he was only a few months old at the time. A few days later, I actually learned that Sam had died of AIDS because he didn't have access to the medicine he needed. I think most people at some point in their careers do have a moment that really changes them and their perspective on life and sort of shapes the trajectory of the rest of their career. But for me, this was very early on and it really uh, shaped my drive to improve how medicines are delivered on a global scale. 
And in this day and age, I think medical innovation is something to be celebrated with research and development achievements that are truly groundbreaking. Uh, we're seeing so many new medicines and vaccines reach the market in really record time. But we also know that a new compound does not become a medicine until it actually reaches the hands of those who need it. So access to medicine is really at the heart of health equity, and it has an enormous impact on people's lives, their livelihoods, and their families. Yet in most high-income countries, people often take this for granted. Uh, they take it for granted that medicines and vaccines are available and affordable to them, or even free of charge when and where they need them. So I'm also deeply aware of the critical role of evidence-based policymaking and the importance of data and science in shaping these government and UN level decisions. Combining these two passions ultimately led me to pursue my career in global health and specifically global health policy and working on access to medicine. Um, absolutely fascinating and um, hugely sad story there um, at the start, but I guess if it creates a positive and eventually then that, that that can only be a good thing. So your role at Access to Medicine Foundation sees you researching and forming policies around how to improve this access. But what specifically do you think are the most pressing issues that need to be resolved today? Certainly there's obvious fast vaccine equity uh, for starters. So 94% of people living in low income countries have yet to receive even a first dose, while many in high income countries are already receiving booster shots. So we know that there's still an additional six to 14 billion outstanding doses needed to vaccinate even 70% of the world, depending on the uptake of boosters. So ending this pandemic everywhere is vital to end it anywhere. The emergence and impact of Omicron is demonstrating exactly what happens when there is unequal vaccine distribution globally. Variants develop when the virus is left unchecked. So we also know that ensuring health systems are equipped with the supplies they need to fight the pandemic is incredibly important. For example, uh, medical oxygen is the first line treatment when patients present in hospital with labored breathing, not just for COVID-19, but also for pediatric pneumonia, for mothers in distressed labor, for those in road accidents, uh, during surgeries, and the list goes on. Governments around the world need to recognize that in order to save lives now, countries need the tools to fight the pandemic, and the companies that are able to provide those need to make sure they're reaching uh, those who need them the most. But there's also a lack of access to products that are on the market for other disease areas as well, uh, particularly for containing the next big global health threat, which many experts are flagging as the spread of drug-resistant infections. Our newly launched antimicrobial resistance benchmark found that vital antibiotics and antifungals are not reaching the populations of poorer countries. And just one third of products and scope of the benchmark are covered by any type of access strategy in any of the low and middle income countries we cover. So this is a really significant gap as well. What we need is access across the continuum of care. Uh, for a variety of different disease areas, from uh, medicines to vaccines to diagnostics and essential health products like medical oxygen, uh, really to support health systems and to help them better prepare for health emergencies, as well as 
uh, sort of the day-to-day things that occur in a hospital setting and, and the diseases, conditions, and pathogens that people come to hospitals presenting with. And that also means that we can't neglect these other areas. COVID-19 has had a devastating impact on the fight against HIV, TB, and malaria, for example, with deaths from TB rising during the COVID-19 pandemic, and for the first time really in a decade, according to WHO, with 1.5 million people having died from tuberculosis in 2020 and 10 million people falling ill from it worldwide. Additionally, there were 14 million more cases of malaria in 2020 compared to 2019. So while we're tackling this pandemic and while it's an urgent uh, and immediate threat, we can't neglect the other areas that still really are critical and that need that attention as well. Great, no, thank you. And um, some scary numbers in there. Um, you obviously talk in terms of kind of resource, but but is it something in terms of resource where additional training for people in, in local areas or kind of manufacturing capabilities, for example, are, are those elements that, that could go some way to helping? It'd be great to get your views on that or, or whether it's something else entirely. Yeah, I think being able to meet uh, demand is a a really critical point. And we've seen in the context of COVID-19 that, you know, there just weren't enough vaccines to go around. First of all, they needed to be developed. uh, But then once they were hitting the market, we just saw that high income countries were sort of snatching up the bulk of the supply and low and middle income countries were really left behind. Uh, And this has been uh, a core issue of the pandemic, of trying to deal with the pandemic. And we've seen as a result, as I mentioned, you know, variants emerging because the virus is continuing to spread uncontrolled. So there are a lot of different strategies that companies can kind of take to augment supply. So one of those is is really recognizing their own limitations in what they're actually able to do in terms of effectively meeting the global demand and partnering with other organizations and other vaccine manufacturers to really ramp up supply. We've seen this in the case, for example, of AstraZeneca. They partnered very early on with the Serum Institute of India to help meet global demand uh, for its COVID-19 vaccine. And this was perhaps, I think, in general with the pandemic, the first time that companies had really truly realized what it takes to deliver a product to every single corner of the world uh, and to every person who will need it. We have seen some recent positive examples as well from companies providing non-exclusive voluntary licenses for new COVID-19 medicines, such as Pfizer uh, and Merck, to enable generic production through their partnerships with the medicines patent pool. And finally, um, but not limited, I guess, exclusively, uh, is reserving doses for COVAX and working with LMIC-based vaccine manufacturers to effectively facilitate technology transfers to help improve production capacity are, are also really essential. There needs to be you know, a better recognition of making sure that vaccines reach every corner of the world again, not just sort of those in high income countries. Great. No, thank you so much. Um, moving on slightly. So obviously COVID-19 has caused many people to become more interested in their, their own health, but How has the pandemic impacted the public's awareness of challenges around access to medicine? I think the pandemic has led to an increased understanding of what 
global health really means and the impact of access uh, and a lack of access to essential medicines, vaccines, and diagnostics. We know that uh, if this lack exists in one country, it can really have an impact on the rest of the world. We know viruses know no borders. Uh, COVID-19 will continue to spread if uh, there isn't this equitable access. But I think that people are starting to realize that the health of the world really is interconnected. And I believe that as an optimist, <laughs> most people do have a new sense of empathy for what it means to not have access to a medicine or a vaccine or even a test when they need it. If we think back to the holiday season of 2020, many people in high income countries were kind of anxiously waiting for their first vaccine dose, but they didn't yet have access to it. And these highly effective medicines for the treatment of COVID-19 that we're starting to see now were not yet developed. And even the thought of an easily accessible at-home test seemed out of reach uh, for many. So I think the tide has shifted a bit and the general public kind of understands what it means to have you know, an illness for which there's no treatment available or to desperately want a vaccine to protect yourself or a loved one that you simply don't have access to. So I think this has been a really important learning uh, for everyone in the pandemic and, and really understanding that on a much deeper level has been a really critical component of it. But I remember thinking around uh, this time last year, you know, all I want for Christmas is a vaccine. And I'm sure so many other people felt the same. But the reality is for the majority of people in the world right now who are not yet fully vaccinated, this year the situation has not changed, while those in high-income countries are already moving on to boosters. So it is my hope that people will not forget this and that those working within pharma will keep moving to make vaccines and medicines and tests more widely available on a global scale. No, I think certainly from a patient perspective, it's it's easy to forget, isn't it? That obviously here in the UK, we're, we're on to, to booster shots. And at the time of recording anyway, there's certainly been some uh, issues in the UK with lateral flow tests being harder to, to come by all of a sudden. And uh, yeah, you quickly forget, don't you? Mm-hmm. Um, how can the pharmaceutical industry harness this this kind of shift um, in public awareness moving forward, would you say? I think that this new kind of personal understanding of access barriers will translate to other disease areas and other health products. That's my hope, at least. I think that there will be in the future, hopefully more R&D for established priorities that predominantly impact those living in low and middle income countries. So for example, our 2021 Access to Medicine Index found that a total of 149 out of the 211 identified priority R&D gaps are currently going unaddressed. So this includes maternal health conditions, several diarrheal diseases, and sexually transmitted uh, infections, as well as neglected tropical diseases. So I'm hopeful that understanding what it means to not have a vaccine or or medicine developed in a high-income country has really demonstrated that there are still a lot of different uh, gaps that that do need to be addressed, um, and that this is a really important issue. And I hope that companies will be also more proactive with their R&D, particularly for infectious diseases. 
So uh, instead of being kind of reactive once an outbreak already hits, uh, they need to think about this uh, much earlier on. So for example, uh, in the period before the start of the pandemic, the Access to Medicine Foundation found that R&D pipelines targeting pathogens most likely to cause a pandemic were largely empty. And that's across the 20 biggest pharmaceutical companies globally. However, after the pandemic hit, of course, the portfolio for experimental drugs and vaccines to create uh, coronavirus treatments really filled up. So yet still, uh, the R&D efforts for emerging infectious diseases by 20 of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies remains alarmingly low. We need to see this more uh, proactive activity from companies uh, to really be able to prepare better for the next pandemic as well. But I also hope that companies are starting to think earlier on, while new innovative projects are still in the pipelines, about creating what we call access plans to make these projects available and affordable on a global scale as soon as they reach the market, and not just only in a handful of kind of promising markets. So companies can think more strategically and earlier on about access plans to ensure that new products, uh, once they're approved, reach those most in need faster and on a larger global scale. Great, thank you. And I guess at a, at a more operational level, you talked about in terms of pharmaceutical organizations thinking about some of these elements more strategically and much more early on. How would you recommend they went about doing that? Yeah, so at the Access to Medicine Foundation, we evaluate the, the 20 largest global pharmaceutical companies on their efforts to make access uh, a priority in low and middle income countries. One of the areas that we look at specifically is this access planning um, indicator. What we like to see is companies looking at uh, projects in the pipeline from phase two and onwards and thinking about how are they going to make this available and affordable. So are they going to think about filing uh, to register a dossier uh, in a particular country? How many countries? Where do those countries meet sort of the, the global uh, priority countries for burden of disease? Are they thinking about the use of a non-exclusive voluntary license? Who are they going to partner with? Are they thinking about how how to make sure supply can meet demand? Are they thinking about equitable pricing strategies? So there's a lot of different things that companies can really consider very early on uh, before the product has even reached the market. There's also a lot of tools out there. For example, in the context of antibiotics, we have developed in collaboration with a consortium of partners, including the Wellcome Trust, the UK government, uh, the US government, uh, the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation and others, as well as Carbex, a guidance document for companies that really outlines what are kind of the key components of an access plan, as well as a stewardship plan uh, to protect antibiotics and, and antifungals from developing resistance. So there are lots of tools out there uh, that companies can actually utilize if they want to think about this really, you know, strategically, and if they really want to do make this a priority for every single project in their pipeline. It shouldn't just be for a handful of projects that they think are going to be uh, successful, but it should be for everything in phase two onwards so that you really are increasing global health equity 
as soon as a, a project is approved and not kind of 10 years down the road after millions of people in high income countries have had access to it for years. So it's a really important mechanism for creating access. And companies also need to make sure that they follow through on these plans, uh, which is really important because making a plan is really great, but it's also something that they need to follow through on and they need to demonstrate that those plans are really robust and that they do cover a large geographic scope and that they are very detailed and that they're understanding, you know, if a particular company is not going to be in a market, what are they going to do to make that product available and affordable for those in that particular country? No, thank, thank you. Thank you, Margot. Um, absolutely fascinating um, subject and great to get your thoughts there. Moving on. So can you explain to our audience what the global health community is, what it seeks to do, and, and what role it has to play in furthering action from pharma companies? There are a lot of players in the global health ecosystem, and they all play their own unique roles. So, for example, in the context of COVID, the World Health Organization continues to play an incredible role in providing and disseminating guidance on the pandemic that's grounded in the best available science. And other UN agencies, such as the Global Fund and Gavi and Unitaid, have stepped up and pivoted to help in the fight against COVID-19 and improve access to the necessary health products for those living in low and middle income countries. Governments, on the other hand, have donated funding to support global access. But that's not just for COVID-19. The same is true uh, for all other disease areas. And there are countless players, just like the Access to Medicine Foundation, that each have their own unique role in addressing core global health issues. But collectively, this community of organizations and governments and civil society and NGOs, and even the companies themselves can continue to develop solutions to access issues and clearly articulate what are the expectations for pharma companies and and what is the role that they should be playing in ensuring equitable access uh, to products. So these clear expectations are really grounded in consensus building along with the core opportunities identified for pharma, which is a big part of actually our work uh, at the Access to Medicine Foundation, uh, is really critical for helping the variety of different players involved, but also the pharma companies themselves, really understand what is it that they need to be doing. And this is important to communicate consistently across a community because it can be a really effective method in change making for the industry. So if all of these different players are kind of speaking with a coordinated voice uh, and, and demonstrating the exact opportunities that companies need to be following through on, this can be a really powerful tool. And it's sort of that power in numbers mentality and, and that really clear and prescriptive change making that, that can happen when it's very obvious what needs to get done. Great, thank you. And and, and finally, from us for, for this episode, I'm, I'm sure we can all agree that the last year was an ex- absolutely extraordinary one within pharma. But do you have any other predictions for the industry as we head into 2022? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think COVID-19 has really demonstrated to the world that where there is a will, there is a way. Vaccine development typically takes seven to 10 years, but we've now seen vaccines reach the market in under a year. So innovation arguably has never been faster. 
But if we think about what could be accomplished if the same energy and funding was put into developing new vaccines for, say, tuberculosis, which is killing 1.5 million people a year, the impact could be so great. So I'm hopeful that the industry will learn from some of these successes and apply them to other disease areas that have historically been neglected. But I'm also hopeful that pharma will equally learn from some of the failures to get vaccines in the hands of those who need them faster and in every corner of the world. And I also hope that the industry will recognize the importance of truly achieving global access, really understanding that there are important partnerships that can help support achieve this and, and capitalizing on those partnerships and really implementing the strategies that can help end this pandemic and can help um, protect the progress that has been made in other disease areas and, and to build on you know, the areas that, that really do require more effort and more funding and more energy. Great, thank you. And, and the Access to Medicine uh, Foundation, are there any specific goals that you, you have in your role for, for 2022 and things you'd like to, to achieve? Yeah, absolutely. We actually just launched uh, in December our new five-year strategic direction. And we realized that over the course of the past two years, we've seen a real lack of movement in a lot of different sectors, not just sort of the large R&D-based companies when it comes to health security and when it comes to you know, building really strong and robust health systems in low and middle income countries. And we know that there's a lot of other sectors that are really vital across the continuum of care that do need the same accountability mechanisms in place and that do need to be guided and incentivized to do more uh, for those living in low and middle income countries. And we identified actually four new sectors that we haven't currently uh, been working on uh, in a formal capacity, and that is uh, generic medicine manufacturers. We look at a few in the context of our antimicrobial resistance benchmark, but we want to see what they're doing across a wide variety of diseases, conditions, and pathogens, because we think that they have a really core responsibility to make sure that medicines are reaching those uh, across every low and middle income country, not just sort of upper middle income countries like uh, Brazil and India, but that they're really reaching those also low income countries that, you know, really do need access to these medicines. Additionally, we've seen in the context of the pandemic, uh, especially the vital role that vaccine manufacturers in low and middle income countries have in terms of helping ramp up supply. But similarly, you know, where exactly uh, are they distributing vaccines? How can they be incentivized to make sure that they're reaching every corner of the world, uh, and especially in low-income countries that are commonly left behind? And additionally, diagnostic companies. We know that testing is so important for not only pandemics, but other disease areas as well, and making sure that people have access to the right medicines uh, that are going to be helpful uh, in their treatment programs. And finally, um, we're looking at medical gas companies because we know that they play such an important role in ensuring access to medical oxygen and making sure that uh, hospitals and clinics are, are better prepared to deal with the onslaught of patients um, caused by COVID-19, but also all of the other patients that continue to present in hospitals. Um, like we talked about, women giving birth, people who have been in an accident, people who need surgeries, you know, these are routine things um, that do require 
adequate access to medical oxygen. So we're looking at it really across the continuum. We're looking at it from a variety of different sectors and understanding that our theory of change that has been really successful for large R&D based companies can be applied to these other sectors. So we're excited for the new year. Uh, we're looking forward to digging deeper into different disease areas, for example, diabetes um, as one example, but we're really hopeful that uh, we can do a lot more new and impactful work in the new year as well and, and in the coming five years. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you, Margot, for, for taking us through some of the work that you've been doing at uh, the Access to Medicine Foundation. Really, really fascinating. So um, yeah, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. It was great to chat and uh, lovely to have this topic highlighted. And that's all for this week. A huge thank you to Margot once again for joining us on this episode and for sharing some brilliant and thought-provoking stories and insights into the need for global health advocacy. And thank you to you for listening. And do remember to rate, review and subscribe if you haven't done so already. We have a new episode out every Tuesday with even more interesting conversations. But in the meantime, why not check out the brilliant content from our sister publication, Gold Magazine, at emg-gold.com. So in the meantime, take care and goodbye for now.